This is the Nine Microwave Truth, and I'm CL Whiteside. I want to say thank you. Thank you to the people that have written reviews, for the people that have subscribed, for the people that have shared this with a friend. Man, keep doing that. Keep, keep showing a brother love, man. I really do appreciate that. And if you haven't written a review and you feel compelled to do so, hey, I appreciate it. Let's get into our first world problem today. And I don't know what I was doing. Well, I mean, I do know what I was doing. I was reading, but I don't know why I was reading this. I was reading Exodus 16. And if you're not familiar with this part of the Bible, this is when the, the Israelites were being extra. They were complaining to Moses and basically saying, I wish we could go back to slavery. Because now, Moses, we about to die. We don't have any food. I'm starving. I'm starving, Moses. At least in Egypt, we got to eat. We, In fact, we sat around pots of meat and we had all we wanted. But you brought us out here to this desert and we about to die because of your God, Moses. You notice how people throw you and say you're something when it's not going the way they want it to happen. <laughs> but this made me think about our first word problem because what did God do? He came through in the clutch like always. And he provided them with something called manna. Now they had this manna for 40 years. 40 years. And manna is described as something that tasted like wafers made with honey. What food would you pick for 40 years? If you got to choose a food that you could have for 40 years, what are you picking? This is our first world problem. Now, you can't cheat and pick something like pizza either and say, well, you know, you can have a vegetable pizza. You can have a breakfast pizza. You could have a, a Mexican pizza. You have to pick something that's like a, a, a whole thing. So examples would be like oatmeal, grits, cream of wheat. You could even just say bread. And mix the flavors up either. So you can't be like, I want every flavor of oatmeal. So on Monday, I want strawberry cream oatmeal. On Tuesday, I want peaches and cream oatmeal. Nah, it's the same flavor. So if you pick brown sugar, that's what you got for 40 years. And the manna is what served as the Israelites' breakfast. So you got to think about this. What do you, This is like your breakfast. What are you picking for your breakfast? Now, for the evening meal, it was different. In the evening, they got quail. And quail came and it covered the camp. So, like, in the morning, they got manna. In the evening, they got quail. What are you picking for your evening meal or animal of choice? I think I almost would just have to go with chicken because it's pretty easy. I know some of you are guessing, like, you probably want to fry that chicken up. But no, I talked about bacon or boiling it. Chicken is a safe, even though I w did think about steak. So I guess my two would be chicken in the evening. And I almost want to go with rice for the morning, but I'm not. I'm going to go with apple, cinnamon, oatmeal. Dang, for 40 years? Yeah. Let me know. What, what are you thinking of? What would you have? I definitely want to know your morning pick because the Israelites definitely had manna, which was their morning pick for 40 years. Well, actually, they didn't get the pick. God just gave it to them. But I don't know if they had quail, quail for 40 years. But the manna was definitely for 40 years because when I'm reading it, it appears as though the quail was not all 40 years. But it definitely says the manna was all 40 years. Let me know both your picks. Let me know your morning breakfast pick and also let me know your evening dinner pick. And this is our first world problem.
It is dinner time. The title of this episode is What Am I Capable Of? The other day, I had one of my old players text me and he said, Coach, this is just when it started getting hot. He said, Coach, you know what time it is. And he was talking about what time of the season is it? And he was referring to sun dress season. And what that's alluding to is the fact that when it gets a little hot out, women start to wear sundresses. And usually in sundresses, you can start to see their shape. You can see their body in a different way. You can see curves uh, a little different, I'll say. And the question of what am I capable of pops in my head immediately. I am capable of cheating on my spouse. Now, it's obvious if I told you I'm going to get together with my single friends, take my wedding ring off, and try to talk to as many women as I possibly can who happen to be in a sundress. You will see that's a problem. You will see that's a clear problem. But what about the more subtle problem? The problem if I told you that on Instagram, I'm liking every picture of every woman who seems to have a voluptuous shape and curves and happens to be in a sundress. And I might even be dropping a little comment under the pictures like fire. What would you think about that then? When I talked about cheating, I was referring to physically cheating, not just the mental, spiritual type of cheating. The actual physically crossing that line with someone else. What else am I capable of? What are you capable of? I'm capable of being just like the Israelites in Exodus. Grumbling and complaining about God all the time because things aren't going my way. Now, it's an obvious problem if I'm taking matters in my hands and starting to do things that are illegal. But it's a lot more subtle problem if I'm just cutting the corner here or there. Or I know I should be giving more to God, but I hold back my tithe. Or I just hold back my time because my time is priceless and God not blessing me in the way that I want to be blessed. So I can't give him as much time because I got to I got to make it work. I got to eat. I'm being honest. This is something I'm capable of. What about you? I'm capable of being an alcoholic and a weed head. And no, I don't blow, but it only takes one time. And this will be an obvious problem. If you see me drinking every day, it's starting to affect the way that I work. I lose my job. That's an obvious problem. But a more subtle problem is if you can do this and still function, you can do this and not a lot of people know about it. You can do this. And in fact, people like you better drunk or high. Now, all the things that I named, they might not be a temptation for you. They're not even all really temptations for me. But I just wanted you to get an idea wanted you to see the things that we think that we are most likely to not become or not capable of or not be tempted by are sometimes the greatest threats possible. Because at the end of the day, if we have a realization that we are capable of becoming something that's not positive, of course, we create fences then, we create boundaries. But if we don't feel like we have any susceptibility to being tempted in that capacity, or we don't feel like there's any chance of us being capable of committing that, that heinous crime, then our guards are down. And when our guards are down, that's sometimes when the devil attacks us the hardest and the most and in the most subtle and sneaky, prowling type of ways. And what I mean by fences are 
Fences are things or boundaries are things that we do or we create as humans to try to keep us away from the actual sin, the actual bigger problem. And I think this is something humans have always attempted to do. And when I look at Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve said something very unique in Genesis chapter three. They said, God said, don't even touch of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But when I went back and looked at Genesis 2 verse 16, it didn't mention God saying anywhere in there about not touching the fruit. But that was probably the fence and boundary that they created because they knew, hey, if we touch this fruit, we're going to eat this fruit. That's knowing themselves. That's having that realization. That's having that fence that I was talking about because they knew that they were capable of doing it. But what happens at times is when we create these fences, the fences can't outweigh God's word. So they started living by their fence more than they started living by God's command. And when they got that that fence knocked down or that boundary knocked down and all of a sudden they touching the fruit and they're like, well, I didn't die. You know what? Maybe if I eat this fruit, I'm not going to die either. And sometimes, especially if you look at churches and we create fences that when people get outside of the fence or outside of the boundary, they realize that they don't necessarily die because of that, that fence being knocked down or that boundary being knocked down. But that doesn't take away the fact that that fence was created to keep us from greater danger. You are now in a yard with a pit bull that's chained up and you're getting a little too close. But like I said, we don't want to realize that we're capable of becoming some of these things. <laughs> I dare you. I dare you to go up to someone and tell them this. You know, back in the day, you look like you would have been a slave owner. Or you know what? You could be a murderer, and I'm not talking about just hating someone, physically killing someone. You know what? You are capable of being just a complete fool. How do you think people respond to that? I'm just kidding, though. Don't do that. Never do that. But I want you to think about that. When I said these things, did you think that you were capable of any of those three? And I want to look at Pharaoh. Pharaoh in the Bible, Pharaoh is in Exodus. And what makes Pharaoh so much like all of us is that Pharaoh had signs from God to let him know that God was real and that God was real and that God was in control, not Pharaoh. But we all want to be in control. And how many times I have heard people say, you know, I would believe in Jesus Christ if he just gave me more proof and made it obvious that Jesus was real or that Jesus is the one. But then ignore all the evidence and proof. So I just think about Pharaoh. He had proof. He had evidence. He had all these miraculous signs. He had the sign of a staff turning into a snake. He had the sign of, of, of the plague of blood, frogs, gnats, flies, locusts. I mean, he had 10 of them. And he still didn't believe. Are you capable of being anything like Pharaoh? Are there things you're in denial about right now? That's showing you what you're capable of being in a negative way? Is there an uncomfortable truth that you're in denial of because you don't want to submit to Christ and letting him be your single Lord? And if you don't believe that, ask for some proof, some evidence, some discernment in your heart. But you also got to check to make sure that your heart isn't hardened and also that you haven't been missing answers. Because sometimes we ask for more and then we don't even look. We got our eyes closed. You got to open your eyes sometimes. Or we ask God to, to tell us something and then we got our ears shut. Or we got noise from somewhere else. So if you ask God for something, expect an answer. And just make sure your heart's not hardened.
And like I said, we can't forget about all the proof and evidence that God has already given us. And that made me think about, uh, they call him Doubting Thomas in the Bible. And Thomas is just like all of us, though. He is literally just like all of us. We are capable of being just like Thomas, just like him. And Thomas in John 20, verse 24 to 29, he says exactly what a lot of us think a lot of times on why we don't believe or why we don't submit to Christ and the triune God. And he's like, hey, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and this is after Jesus died and rose from the dead. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my fingers where the nails were, I'm not believing. I don't care what y'all saw. I don't care if all the disciples and their moms and their dads telling me they saw Jesus. I didn't see him. I'm not going to believe it. Like he literally forgot about all the evidence that he saw prior to this that proved that Jesus was God. Like, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in the triune God because of blind faith. Like, I can't reject all that evidence and all that proof that's actually there. Like, Thomas forgot about Jesus walking on the water. Thomas forgot about Jesus healing lepers or raising people from the dead or feeding the 5,000. But what happens, though, when things don't go as we think they should go in a plan, Thomas said he needed more. And we all do that. And we're all capable of being just like Thomas. Thomas needed and demanded more proof. And you know what God actually did? God showed up and showed out. Now, are you giving God a chance to show up and show out for you? Or is your heart hardened? Ask God to reveal himself to you and to give you signs and proof and evidence. And one of the first things I would encourage you to do is just literally go stand outside and just look around. Just look around. God can reveal himself and God does reveal himself through nature. Like the beauty of it, the intelligent design, like this stuff didn't just happen by chance. That's proof and evidence right there. And then also just digging and actually getting into the word. If you, When you start reading the Bible, you start seeing how meticulous God is at times and the details and the names that he give, gives. And that's because it's a historical book that can be cross-referenced with other historical facts to see like, man, this is real. Sometimes you're like, I, I don't need to know this name. I don't need to know this dimension of this building or this um, list of materials that were used to build this ark or building or whatever. But when you get in the word and you research the word, you're going to keep seeing that God keeps providing facts that you can actually check today. Like you can fact check it in this day and age. But a lot of people don't know this because they don't get in the word. They don't actually research to see it. Now, there might be some things that you can't prove to be to be right, but I can guarantee you're not going to be able to find something that you can prove to be wrong. And with a lot of different religions and a lot of different things, even in science, you can disprove those things. There's nothing in the Bible you can disprove. So don't deny the facts. Don't deny the evidence. Don't deny the proof. And then on top of that, when you start getting in the word, word, you will be shocked at how God starts to reveal the truth to you, how the Holy Spirit starts giving you discernment. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing, man. It, it honestly is. And when you have these doubts, ask God to reveal them to you. Ask God for some proof. I mean, you can even demand it for some evidence for, for him to bring things to the light. Demand him to give you the non-microwave truth. But also don't deny the facts that you're seeing. Don't deny the evidence. Don't deny what the what the word is telling you, especially when you research it and you cross reference and you see like, dang, this this historical account matches with other historical accounts. And I know when I started to understand that, that gave me a different appreciation for some of the details that are listed in the Bible. And it also just made me appreciate how God reveals himself 
and gives us evidence and proof in his word so that I can't deny it. Like, I can't reject the truth. I mean, I could, but that's just flat out foolish. And yeah, that doesn't make any sense. And that's where we can see there's such a huge difference between Pharaoh and Thomas. And when you compare the two, when you compare Thomas to Pharaoh, both of them had seen enough. Both of them had more than enough signs to know who the true God was, or is, I should say. But Thomas's was coming from a place of hurt and a place of disappointment. Pharaoh's was coming from a place of pride and arrogance and having like a God complex. Don't have a God complex. But the bigger question is like, why are we capable of such horrible things or horrible actions? Why don't we just get it? Why do we have to create fences? And that comes down to, I think Psalm 16 verse 2 sums it up. It's pretty much when we are apart from God, there's no good thing. And sin does that. Sin damages our relationship with God. Sin puts a wedge between our relationship with God. There's this myth, and I hear people say this, and I know what they mean, but how many people say, you know, I'm, I'm really a good person. What is good? Like, apart from God, nothing is good. Like, nothing. Nothing's good apart from God. And the quicker we realize that, the quicker we can see what we're capable of. And if we don't have God in our life, there is no, there's no good. We're trying to have moral standards and a moral um, compass based off of what, then, if we don't have God. Makes no sense. Now, we've done a lot of talking about why we're capable of evil, but let's talk about why are we capable of, of greatness? And I know all of you have heard this passage from Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. A lot of times this passage is misused, though, because when you look at Philippians and you could even read Philippians in one sitting, it's only four chapters. What Paul is really talking to to the Philippians, he's more so getting them to be content in whatever circumstances they have. The main reason that people don't believe God or want to submit to God is because they don't like their circumstances. They don't like the circumstances that they think God has put other people in. But when you look at this, Paul is really getting at and telling people or telling the Philippians like, hey, you can imitate Christ's humility. You don't have to be frightened. You can have the right mindset. Like you don't have to be anxious about stuff. You can have a mindset that focuses on whatever is excellent and be content in whatever circumstances. Because he knew that the Philippians were going through some stuff like they were experiencing a lot of opposition in their lives. And he was more so telling them, how can you have joy even though you have hardships? And that comes through Christ. Christ is that him in that passage. But I know a lot of times people use that passage like I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. And people are using that to say crazy stuff like I'm going to have superhero powers and be able to fly because God said I could or Christ gives me the strength or I'm going to have super strength and be able to pick up a car. And that's not what this passage is really getting at. It's more so talking about changing our mindset because Christ gives us strength to deal with some mess, to deal with different circumstances that we don't like. And if we could, we would avoid them. But thank God. Like we really are capable of greatness. And again, that comes down to Christ giving us the strength. When we have Christ in our life and we have that faith, that changes our entire mindset. We are a completely new person. 
and the Holy Spirit can work in our lives and the father can give us the plan that he wants and we can trust that. And when we have that hope and trust, it's different because we know we know that he is all about the best. It's like this. We have a cashier's check. Don't rip it up. When it gets cold in this world, don't put it in the fire to try to keep you warm for another minute or two. Trust that when you meet the father and he asks you, why should I let you into heaven? You can confidently say, because your son paid my debt. Your son paid my debt through his death and resurrection on the cross. Your son gifted me with perfection. Your son loved me so much that he followed your plan to give me new life and a new hope. And we should be like, hey, thanks, pops. Give me a big hug. Let's party. That's like you entering heaven, just in case you didn't understand that reference. But all right, let me leave you with three takeaways today. First one being this. You and I are capable of some jacked up stuff. Like any and every person in this world is capable of some horrible things. Realize it. Own it. Don't be afraid to create and use fences and boundaries for yourself. It's okay to not follow certain people on social media. It's okay that your parents or your significant other goes through your phone every once in a while. It's okay, and it's actually very real and mature if you can share ways with a God-fearing person that you think you are changing for the worse. Just think about that. All right, second takeaway. Don't ignore the proof. Don't ignore the stuff that tells you that you're slipping up. Don't ignore the facts that God clearly wants to have a relationship with you. Don't ignore the evidence that Jesus loves you and he clearly wants you on his team. And the last point I wanna leave you with today is realize you are capable of greatness. Greatness through Christ though. But how that greatness may look will be according to the Father's plan, not your plan. So ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and show you the best plan not the microwave plan, but again, the best plan, the Father's plan. And this is the non-microwave truth. And if you like it or love it, share it with one of your friends. Tell them about the podcast. Sharing is caring. I'd appreciate it greatly. And don't forget, you can hit me up on Instagram or Twitter. My handle is championlife23. I would love to hear from y'all and get some feedback. Let me know what you're thinking. Peace punch, Captain Crunch. Stay no to drugs and yes to Jesus. I'm out.